Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. V8 fans love their V8 branded products. This week we look at the evolution and importance of merchandise. In all fashion, I suppose you look back over five years or ten years and you go, what were we thinking? That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. More on merchandise today, but first, Will Davison is a previous winner of the Bathurst race. But does he feel like he's really appreciated that victory? Um, yeah, I mean, that was, as much as I tried to appreciate it, I'd been there a few years already. But, um, yeah, you, you want to experience it again. Um, but, yeah, surely getting pole position last year in the shootout was absolutely a, a major highlight. That's not the Sunday. That's a different day to Bathurst 1000. But it's still a thing you've grown up watching. All love the shootout at Bathurst, something you dream of. It's getting a sh- chance to first compete participating one and then to challenge for a pole was uh was really special i was second in 2011 and uh you know i was really determined last year to to uh to do that and it was uh yeah really really awesome moment this year we've probably never seen the the uh series so competitive with 28 almost 28 genuine race winners there yeah it's it's absolutely incredible and all the equipment's good there's no bad equipment in this pit lane um as we're saying anyone on their day can be first anyone can be 15th or 20th it's incredibly frustrating but it's uh it's pretty impressive mm-hmm. and you know sometimes you you've got to acknowledge when you don't have superhuman powers and you've got to accept the position you're running in and take the points so you know we're putting together quite a solid year at the moment mm-hmm. uh, at times you wish you were maybe more aggressive but you know, there's a lot of times where you've made errors and thought, why didn't I tame it down? So it's uh, incredibly tough at the moment. And, um, yeah, we're in a good championship position, so we've just got to keep this going. Jason Bright has told the V8 Insiders ahead of the Sandown 500. Which 500? Phillip Island, Queensland or Sandown, he prefers as the lead-in to the Bathurst race. You know, I think Phillip Island probably, you know, as far as the car setup and everything wise, you know, might have been an easier lead-in. But... You know, Sandown, you know, I think it's great that Sandown's the 500 again. It, it's the one that I used to go to as a as a young boy and watch, you know, the heroes race back then in, as the Sandown 500. And it's a shame. It's always been a shame when when those sort of events change. I mean, you know, God forbid if Bathurst the 1000 ever moved from Bathurst, you know, it just uh, wouldn't make sense. Um, you know, so when it came up here to Queensland Raceway or when it went to Phillip Island, it didn't have the same feeling for me as. Uh, 
as you know when it was a Sandown 500. Fabian Coulthard talked about the qualifying races at Sandown and his thoughts on the risks of the co-driver race. Yeah, look, you know, hopefully it doesn't affect us too much. Um, I've got confidence in my co-driver Luke Yulden. Uh, you know, he was on the front row there last year, and uh, you know, he won one of his co-driver races. So we've got faith in him. You know, he doesn't need to go out and prove himself. You know, we've signed him up for two years, so he doesn't have to prove himself and uh, worry about what he's doing next year. So I think that's a, a good string in our bow. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty excited to get to Sandown. You know, first of the endurance races uh, should be good. After the break, we look at V8 supercar merchandise for Nobrac carbon fibre products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Merchandise has been around for years. In fact, John Stoneham, better known as cartoonist Stoney, was involved in some of the early merchandise for motorsport. Well, it was it was one of those things, Craig, where we just fell into it. Uh, Adrian McClellan and I, uh, our marriage licences ran out and we forgot to renew them. And we decided to move to Melbourne and print T-shirts with my cartoons on the front of it. Um... But we were friendly with Murray Carter and uh, also uh, uh, with uh, a couple of people who owned the Marlborough bus. And we met the brands manager of Marlborough in the Marlborough bus in Adelaide. And he said, when you get to Melbourne, boys, look me up. So we really just fell into it. Um, but uh, so uh, we started off with, with Marlborough, but we also met a fellow from Shell through Murray Carter called Archie White. And he was head of um, uh, Shell Motorsport. Uh, unlike Mr. T-Shirts and a fellow called Graham Wincup, who uh, also had a big T-shirt printing shop in Melbourne, they, their minimums, their minimum orders were were a thousand shirts, and um, uh, Marlborough particularly didn't want to order them in lots of a thousand because they they weren't in the business of selling T-shirts, nor was Shell in that for that matter. But they just wanted enough so that they could hand out to a few fans. So we. We got the business because we were happy to do 20 shirts, 30 shirts, 50 shirts, 100 shirts, whatever the case may be. And uh, so we weren't we weren't doing a lot. There wasn't a lot being sold. Um, in so much as it wasn't, um, you know, you didn't you didn't see apart from uh, race gear, uh, which was uh, run by Nancaro um, and uh, and Hugh Trellis. Um, that that there wasn't a lot of actual. You know, merchandising shops anyway. So, uh, but uh, when you get a place like Marlborough, you know, where where we weren't only doing the dealer team shirts, we were doing the the uh, rodeo shirts, we were doing the tennis shirts, we were doing anything that they were involved in, and they would order them in hundred lots or two hundred lots, whatever the case may be. At the end of the year, it was quite a lot. And we ha- just didn't want them all at once. That was the thing. Were you hand printing? 
We were. We were, we were using a carousel, uh, for those who know about uh, silkscreen T-shirt printing, and we were oven drying them. We had a little oven that we used to put the T-shirts with to cure the paint, and then we'd fold them ourselves. And uh, uh, So we were really, you know, uh, high, high maintenance but uh, low volume. Uh, but also just stayed, you know, very small. We didn't really have the turnover to to go uh, to a larger automated system, like, for instance, Mr. T-Shirts. And people like um, uh, T-Shirt and also uh, Mr. T-Shirts and, and Wincup, they eventually went to a larger automated uh, system whereby they were supplying shirts to Kmart and Coles and that sort of thing. So they 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 stayed in the business longer and they developed their business, whereas Adrian and I, we sort of uh, went in different directions. So uh, I I had my cartooning and he was a pilot and he wanted to continue you know flying. So we we would sort of we were in a golden era really. I mean we were only in it for two or three years and uh, it was just lovely. We were uh, we were very very lucky actually. But you could see uh, that the merchandising was growing as the sport grew. So did the merchandising. There was a fellow up in uh, Sydney called uh, uh, Bob Skelton who actually drove for, for Harry for quite some time, and uh, he had a, a business called Mister Mister Jackets. Well, naturally, he um, you know sort of developed in the jacket era, and of course today, um, while we don't have Marlboro, we have Red Bull, and we have all the other brands. Uh, of course, the first thing they get is a good set of jackets, you know. It was in the 80s and 90s when merchandise really started to step up a level as the Holden team started to use their dealer networks to offer products sold under licence to build the Red Army around Australia. In the 2000s, Stone Brothers Racing started to turn merchandise into a major revenue stream for the team making their products the must-have for fans on the back of Marcus Ambrose and Russell Ingalls on track success. Yeah, look, absolutely. You had to have the personalities. You had to have the success was important. It was a key ingredient at the time where obviously that inspired the demand. Uh, So, you know, we hinged off, as I said, the Ford base. We hinged off then building SBR fans, the the Pertec and Caltech staff members themselves, and then the the, the the Holden ex-Russell fans that moved over and the, uh, you know, champion Marcus. Ambrose fan. Chris Wilson is the commercial manager of Erebus Motorsport, but formerly was with Stone Brothers Racing through their halcyon days of not only winning races but merchandise sales. Just before I, I kicked off, it was uh, Die Stone, Ross's wife, that looked after all that side of it and uh, had some had some good products and stuff in place. There was always the team polo, the team cap and the team jacket. You had a couple of t-shirts you'd throw in. We mixed that up because we had a Caltex range and a Pertec range in amongst that with an SBR range. It just got bigger and broader. Uh, we sort of branched out back in those days to a bit of a surfy type theme. We were a Gold Coast based team so uh, Jet Pilot used to manufacture some gear for us in China there. The numbers started getting up. The range got broader, but the numbers the numbers got big, you know. We went to China with the quantities, and all of a sudden you're buying 1,000, 2,000 of each product line to, to, to get it to retail. Yeah, well, really, I guess back before SBR, you really just had the Holden Racing Team or Holden Dealer Team and uh, Dick Johnson with his shell merch getting out there and the fan base being coloured and branded up. Uh, they were obviously tribal, red versus blue. Uh, the advent of the SBR stuff uh, hinged off that uh, that blue brigade, but really started to define, I guess, a bit of a team era 
where not only were you a Ford fan, but you become an SBR fan, and in essence, you, you took on the uh, you know, the sponsors' colours and, and things like that there. So it became obviously a, a key component as a branding exercise for the sponsor, but at the same time, building the team identity and I guess the team fan base, building the army. Are the, the rumours of the 10 and $20 million of merchandise sales as, as true as what uh, they're being blown up to be? No, I think there's probably a zero put on the end of there that shouldn't be there. But, you know, it, it was a multi-million dollar thing over the course of the years. Uh, it got harder as the years went on. More and more teams then wanted to be part of that. More and more sponsors of teams demanded they be part of that, which really, at the end of the day now, is, is retail struggles. That's still where it's at. You know, we have to produce a range as part of our arrangement with Irwin and SP and, and HH as do the other teams down the line. Firstly, you need it for uniform, so it's a way to sort of get started. So that sort of forms a basis for your item lines and your key items. Obviously, the fan wants to wear what the team wear and what the drivers wear, so that there makes a good start. But, uh, yeah, it's probably overstated a little bit there, but they were they were some pretty good days of it. But it's definitely... The, the pie's been divvied up, divvied up by a lot more people these days, so not too many teams do their own stuff anymore because it's uh, probably was overinflated a little bit. Now, merchandise might not generate the revenue for the team in percentage terms of the whole motorsport spend, Peter Jamison is the commercial manager for Triple Eight. Merchandise hasn't grown Uh, and people the glory days of when HRT and Playcorp and there was potentially the rumours of them doing 20 million dollars in merchandise um, we've never seen numbers like that in the the time I've been involved a brand like uh, Stone Brothers doing at that stage, it was the sake of the argument, they might have been doing two and a half million dollars worth. Um, yeah, it would have been a good income for them because they're probably earning one and a half out of it because they're buying direct from China and doing it directly themselves. But now we've got more people in the loop and there's more fingers in the pie, so to speak. It's uh, it's not quite as the, the, the revenue source that it used to be, and also the numbers are down. Um, a brand like Stone Brothers now doing. One and a half million a year would be uh, a good year for them. So, and then the, obviously the revenues are adjusted accordingly. So, um, re- merchandise is stable is the best way to describe it. At the end of the day, the fan has got a certain amount of money. They haven't got it. Doesn't it hasn't grown. So it's a little bit like we're, at the moment we're getting a lion's share of that that the fan dollar. Um, next year it might be another team. So we're just lucky that uh, we're on the roll at the moment. But it is still an important part of racing teams' offering. As Michael Wood, Nissan Motorsports merchandise manager, explains, it, it is it is a budget line, and, and and it's managed, and you know we meet on a weekly basis in in terms of the financial side of the business, and and make sure that you know we're, we're dotting our eyes and you know crossing our t's, um, because that that income is it's in the budget, it's expected, and you know you've got to hit it. With a new manufacturer coming into the sport, how many new opportunities does that offer? Changing to uh, to Nissan, um, we weren't sure what we were going to get prior to uh, prior to the launch of the the team and this year's merchandise, which is uh, um, wearing the Nissan uh, badge loud and proud. But uh, it's it, it's exceeded expectation on on every front. Um, the public are, the public are, are into it. Nissan dealerships that we're distributing and selling through dealerships across Australia and New Zealand, they're certainly um, very uh, very pleased to have the brands available in their their dealerships. They've all been saying that you know they haven't had an option for 20 years. So um, the support we're gathering, sort of on on you know wholesale and retail level. Um, yeah, it is certainly exceeding our expectations. So. Not all teams do their own merchandise. FPR's Tim Edwards 
talks about the model they use. Oh, look, I mean, uh, we have a, a slightly unusual business model where um, uh, we have an apparel partner, apparel design, who look after our merchandise. Triple Eight also use a brand management company like FPR. Brand Management Australia is their partner, but there is a crossover between what they do and the online direct sales for Triple Eight. Um, there is a great, you're right, there's a bit of a greatness where our online presence, obviously um, redbullracing.com.au is, uh, is our portal, but it's in our interest to support the merchandise as best we can. Um, they've, we've sold, and sold a, uh, them the licence, and it's, up to, it's really up to us to make sure that they hit their targets. And uh, it's a co-promotion, that's why you see on their dash, for example, the, uh, the store.com.au. To, uh, to remind people that there is a website and go there and, and check out that there is merchandise store. New sponsors will also help boost sales in merchandise. Our sales are much improved on last year, I think, you know, from having uh, more, the uh, Trading Post and Orcom brands. I think the Pepsi brands are slightly more sexy brands, so I think that's drawing a few new people in. And if, if last year you had the 2000 and 10 shirt you may not have updated because it didn't look too dissimilar uh, but obviously going to the Pepsi Max brand this year is, is, uh, is, is uh, you know, quite a significant change. Peter Jamison says that there's no exact science in determining how much merchandise will be required. How, what did we work out for a year? Well we looked at what our Vodafone numbers were for the year one um, and that was the first, uh, that was a good indication and then basically we doubled it because of the Red Bull factor. And uh, we're also very lucky. The brand management have got the ability to turn the tap on in China quite quickly. So we identified straight after Clipsal that we're going to be short, and we started. And we've got stock coming out now, pegged with another big drop, ready for ready for Bathurst. So it's uh, you, ne- you never want to miss the opportunity, but you've also got to be mindful that we're going to be changing, st- and the design for next year needs to be needs to be managed. So we'll. Uh, We'll end up with a reasonably good volume this year, though. Nissan's corporate wear has been one of the big surprises to the team and Nissan. Michael Wood again. Changing to uh, to Nissan, um, we weren't sure what we were going to get prior to uh, prior to the launch of the the team and this year's merchandise, which is uh, um, wearing the Nissan uh, badge loud and proud. But uh, it's it, it's exceeded expectation on on every front. Um, the public are, the public are, are into it. Nissan dealerships that we're distributing and selling through dealerships across Australia and New Zealand, they're certainly um, very uh, very pleased to have the brands available in their their dealerships. They've all been saying that you know they haven't had an option for 20 years. So um, the support we're gathering, sort of on on you know wholesale and retail level. Um, yeah, it is certainly exceeding our expectations. So. For the smaller teams, it's harder for them to get merchandise out with smaller order quantities and, of course, a smaller fan base. Ben Nightingale from Techno Autosports told us about their strategies. Oh, we still view it as absolutely necessary um, for the team. It's one of those things where uh, Techno, up to this, up until 2013, did not have a merchandise range, and we were constantly asked for it. The fans, we have a, a surprising number of fans, and they would constantly come up to us and say, "We want a hat, we want a shirt, we want to wear the, we want to wear your colours." So for 2013, when we we had VIP Pet Foods come on board, and and since we've had Daryl Lee come on board as well, it was an absolute imperative that we did a range of merchandise. 
That being said, with our sponsorship programs coming on rather late um, in the game, that left very limited time to develop a range of merchandise, which means we've done it locally, which makes it more expensive you know, per unit, whereas a lot of the bigger teams are able to go to China to have their product manufactured. We do it all locally in Australia. So as a result, um, per unit cost is a little more expensive, so that percentage you were talking about earlier is even smaller for us. Um, but as we say, we're seeing our colours out in the crowd now, which is really encouraging for us. Tony D'Alberto talked about for his very small team how difficult it is to get products available for fans. Yeah, for us, I mean, I looked at trying to do it this year. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't get all the sponsors locked in quick enough to to uh, get the order underway because, you, you know, to get a good price, you've got to order you know, a, a lot in uh, quantity. And, uh, you know, you've got to get it done in China. So uh, you need probably three months before the season starts. So uh, we couldn't quite achieve that. Uh, but you need, like for us, we wouldn't sell what a HRT would or anything like that. So obviously the quantities wouldn't be as high. And we need our sponsors to commit to X amount before we can commit to it. So I think a minimum spend is around thirty to 40000 So it's quite a lot of money to spend. Um, to not have sponsors locked in. Uh, it's a bit risky for us, so uh, we just do uh, smaller runs, and uh, uh, it's it's more expensive per unit, but uh, in the long run, at least, it's not as risky for us. Are you doing those units so purely for your corporate sponsors, as opposed to doing so race fans can wear tribal gear? Uh, yeah, for the sponsors, but we also sell it uh, on our website. Uh, so you know, if if, if fans want to um, buy some gear, we have a little bit of stock at the workshop, but. Generally, it's made to order. Michael Wood explained how much stock they have to hold. I'm guessing off the top of my, my head, there would be at, at least 50 items in, in the range and then sizes within those, those, um, those lines. Um, accessories are, are a big part of, of merchandise sales as well. Headwear and accessories is you know, 40% of, of total sales. So as far as you know, visual goes, we, we love the shirts on people's backs, but... Um, we've got to cater for, for everyone in, um, in what we produce and sell. So, yeah, it, it is a constant evolution. I mean, we're already well into planning for next year. Um, the, the great thing that as the year goes on, people tell us what they want as well. You know, it's, it's amazing. People come up to us and we'd really, we'd really like this item or that item. And, and you go away and you sit down on a Monday after a, a race weekend because that's when you get in front of the fans and, and we look at the merits of those, those products. Um, how many? What's what's the minimum order quantity we need to get to? What's our what's our lifespan on that product in you know in our merchandise range? And you know, is it has it got legs? Can it sell? Um, so all of those things, and and it's great. We we try really hard every every you know eight weeks to to try and get a new product into the range. Again, with internet, it gives them a reason to come back and, and have a look. And you know, if they jump online and buy the new item, they grab something else on the way through. It's uh, it's what it's all about. Peter Jamison. Um, I think we've got 48 SKUs, um, and uh, that's that, that changes throughout the year. For example, right now there's um, there's two items that Craig. There's a cap and a t-shirt for Craig winning uh, the 91 um, uh, victories. Then you've got um, uh, Bathurst dedicated stuff. We're doing something for our 10-year anniversary at Sandown. So they, and there's things that will come and go, but. What, the thing that we're trying to do with our merchandise is bring in what we call a Lorna Jane effect. And Lorna Jane has every three months has new stuff coming through, whether it's seasonality or it's just keeping things vibrant. And it's not set and forget with the merchandise. And that's one of the things that our, our, brand, our partner, Brand Management Australia, are bringing to the party is saying let's bring the seasonality in and let's bring 
the fresh stuff through. So do a, a minimum order quantity, say, say for the argument, 500 of a T-shirt, and then sell out. Then do another one of the different design and keep everyone coming back in to the store or go back onto the online and going, oh, that's new, I wouldn't mind that one. So we'll see how it all works. After the break, we find out about some of the trends and fads in merchandise. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Hi, I am Alexandre Prema from the Fujitsu GRM team and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Team clothing is the mainstay for merchandise, but over the years it has seen a number of different fads in design. Peter Jamison talks about the early streetwear of Triple Eight. Well, those the, the board shorts and uh, and the girls' jeans and skirts and things um, showed that you could do it, and people were wanting it. But uh, oh, it's the old. Um, 10% rule, that uh, 10% really enjoyed it and 90% didn't take it on, they just wanted the standard team apparel but uh, we, we still believe Red Bull can cross into the accessories range and, and the casual lifestyle range and we've got some stuff up there at the moment that uh, is only very lightly branded so it, you've got to find the mix um, the, the, the guy that goes and plays uh, golf on a Saturday afternoon wearing a polo shirt that is lightly branded um, also wants to put on Sunday, wants to put on his um, his team kit. So we've got to make sure we, we cover all those options. But, yeah, you're right. It, the, the, I think the bikinis were just a little bit on the too far of the edge. <laughs> Michael Wood from Nissan. And I've said this for, for a long time. It's amazing how often we look at a merchandise range at the start of the year and, you know, we pat ourselves on the back and we go, that, that looks really good. We're, we're happy with that result. You get five years down the road and you look back at some of the merchandise we've developed and it's like, how, how do we think of doing that? That's terrible. But that's that's more based on sales than it is based oh, on style, look, isn't it? Style, style, you know, choice of colour. Uh, obviously not in the JD world, but but yeah, it's 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 in all fashion, I suppose. You look back over five years or ten years and you go, what were we thinking? Um, but you're right in terms of how it's evolved. And cast your mind back, you know, it all started in you know HRT. John Crennan led the way in in, in merchandise and. Um, and that was a juggernaut of, of amazing proportions. So how difficult is it to marry a race car and team with the company's trademarks and corporate image? Techno's Ben Nightingale. Yeah, definitely. You know, you're still working within branding guidelines and, and, and all of your sponsors have, have demands that must be met. So whenever you're developing a range of merchandise and you're using a, your, your sponsor's brand, you must have everything... Up you know you correct and then it must be approved and go through all the relevant channels and that's exactly we have all those same challenges i suppose it's it might be simpler for us because our range isn't quite so expansive but each individual item has to be um, agreed to by the sponsor and um, signed off before any kind of production um, it happens yeah, absolutely and they're getting at it the prototype stage you get a prototype in your ticket and then you send them the sample or you send them photos of samples or how, how do you actually get that approval we'll do it even um, before then we'll have um, renderings drawn up of, of the of the garment uh, before any kind of production before even a sample and um, we will send those renderings to the to the to the sponsor 
Uh, they'll have a look and they'll come back and suggest changes or modifications. They do like this, they don't like that. And we'll back and forth in that regard. And then as once we're happy with drawings, we'll go ahead, we'll do the sample, we'll get that in, we'll get that approved, and then we'll go for production. And what about at Red Bull? Peter Jamison explains. So in a perfect world, you'd want to have it all signed off by about July. So then we can actually get uh, samples made, look at them by September, and then lock them away by October, ready to supply um, in, on ships by December. So that's effectively sign off by July. Jack Daniels' involvement at Nissan has an added difficulty because the company will not allow any merchandise to be branded in children's sizes. You're right, and, and that is a challenge. And Jack Daniels, uh, I take my hat off to them. They, the, the, the message they, they preach in terms of responsible drinking and serving of alcohol, they, they live it every day. We actually are required by Jack Daniels to have a sign in our merchandise marquee. We cannot sell merchandise to those under the age of 18. It does make it very challenging when, when parents walk in and, and you know, their kids are fans of Rick and Todd. And it's not Jack and Jack Daniels they're fans of, it's Rick and Todd. Unfortunately, there's, there's, there's nothing really that we can put on them in terms of a, a merchandise piece. Which is where the uh, corporate Nissan merchandise now has opened up an opportunity for the team's revenue lines. Correct. Um, again, we, we now can do merchandise for, for children, um, both in, 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 in the Nissan range and the Norton range, uh, for that matter. There's, sort of, there's no issues there. Um, and it has allowed you know, people to come and support the, the brand again um, and support the two boys without obviously overstepping that, that boundary of, of age and, and alcohol branding. Peter Jamison says that the lead times to get merchandise ready for the start of the season is a major battle, but they are almost signed off for 2014 and ready to go into production. Right now we're trying to t- finalise the boxes for the team partners and I think we're pretty well right. We've got um, one more to lock away, which I think in, the, in terms of the paddock would be pretty rare to have most of our sponsors lined up this time of the year. But uh, we are in that position, which is good. Um, it also was that uh, last year we were renewing people and we typically renew for two to three years so we're in that scenario where we're in the, at the start of a, a three year period so it's, it's quite good but uh, yeah it, it is a juggle of mer- marrying up and making sure our partners are on our merchandise some partners are actually quite comfortable knowing that they're too late to join and they don't get the opportunity to be on the merch but uh, there's others who uh, are desperate to be there and will lock in early which is, uh, which is great from a team perspective One aspect of merchandise is that corporates tend to buy a good number of it. Michael Wood explains. You know, they come in, they they want to buy their merchandise and and they're not buying one shirt, they're there buying for all their guests and, you know, 40 or 50 shirts. Peter Jamison says that's where teamwear really comes to the fore. They will actually take, quite often a lot of our partners will take the casual range and then add their logos to it and keep it as uh, in, in, in-house as their own merchandise range. For Triple Eight, their previous sponsor, Vodafone, was agreeable to allow the team to vary their livery. Will Red Bull allow as much flexibility? Red Bull is a fantastic marketing business. That's what they, that's what they do. So they're a lot tighter on what the, uh, the brand can, can actually stand, where, it, where it's positioned, how it's represented, right from the car to the merchandise. So... Um, we've been given a Red Bull Racing Australia logo from Austria. We use that primarily as our number one logo. And then if we were departing away from that and using the straight Red Bull logo, that's when the, that's when the uh, protocols kick in and that's when the, uh, the lead times in terms of approval start to get a lot longer. 
But once you, as long as we stay within the footprint of Red Bull Racing Australia, happy days. And what is the future of non-track V8 apparel? Michael Wood from Nissan. Some of our team kit is probably a, a little bit, a uh, little bit out there to be walking, uh, walking out on a Saturday night, stepping out on a Saturday night with a with a Jack Daniel shirt is probably um, not uh, most people's idea of a um, you know Saturday night dress. Um, in terms of the the lifestyle ranges, they they are an important part of of our ranges. Um, we need to get the brand out, and and various people uh, are happy with you know different levels of, of branding on the on their shirt. Um, so in that in that regard, we try and cater for everyone. Um, the I suppose prior to the arrival of Nissan, um, our, our opportunity to sell our brand outside of a race weekend was was limited a little bit. Um, we didn't have access to, to Holden dealerships to sell the product. Um, it was online, but you know, 90% of our sales were at track. And on track days, people want to look like the team. That, that is always the biggest seller. Um, what we're finding now is they'll buy a team polo, they'll wear it Saturday or Sunday, and they'll buy a Nissan shirt you know, to wear to golf on, on the weekend. And, and you know, if we can achieve that, you know, one in every two sales, we'd, um, we'd be doing very well. Peter Jamison is confident that they will, with Red Bull, be able to diversify their offerings over the next 12 to 24 months. Well, I wish I had a crystal ball, I've got to be honest. We, um, we, we're constantly trying to keep it fresh and trying to find new things. The uh, sleeveless vest was something that was the flavour of the month five or six years ago. We think they might be back again. They might be coming back in 2014. Um, I can't see the puffer vest being part of uh, the range in the short term. But the, uh, the standard uh, polo T-shirt is always going to be around. We, um, we would like to do uh, a jean range, put some jeans in the range, um, so we're playing with that option for 2014. But reality is, this typical Australian purchaser loves their polo and loves their tea, and if you don't have a bucket hat in the, uh, the range, then you actually hurt yourself in terms of sales. So it's a balance, balancing of what you really would like to stop, um, but you don't want to be on the fashion edge, you need to be relatively conservative. And what about the future of merchandise? Where do these men see it heading? It's all about how you go about it. Uh, if you're going to go the streetwear angle, it's got to be so simple. Um, and so, you know, there's there's two kinds of V8 merchandise, in my opinion. There's the um, heavily sponsored, you know, typical racewear, which you see majority of fans purchasing and wanting to wear because that's, you know, it's that tribal thing. They want to wear the colours. But then there is... I think a, there is a tendency towards nowadays something a little simpler and I think you sort of see that in the techno range of merchandise. We've tried to simplify things. Our sponsor brands are definitely on there and we're looking after all of our sponsors but we've stripped it back a little bit. Um, you know, black, plain blacks, bold bold prints for our sponsors, um, simple logos, nothing too over the top, nothing too cluttered uh, and it seems to be working. The, the punters are liking it so it's working for us. Uh, we're lucky that we've got some guys that are competitive at the moment um, but I also think that it comes down to some colours um, dark blue is a popular colour females are happy to wear it blokes are used to wearing it so um, if we were to change our kit to, to wore white for example I don't think we'd sell anywhere near what we've got we found that grey was a good seller particularly the darker grey um, and obviously there's a lot of teams who are selling black so the darker colours seem to work quite well but uh, yeah winning, winning does make it easier <laughs> 
I don't know where the next five years will take uh, take merchandise as as a whole category at, at race events. You might find we're we're back in holding heaven tents. You know, mm-hmm. think back three four years ago. You know, at uh, Clipsal and Bathurst, we'd all share a, a marquee. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. So it's always evolving and changing. Um, as as for the clothing and and some of those fashion and then and the plastic merchandise, um, it's another one of those. What were we thinking? Horror stories. It really was. But uh, our merchandise is expensive. It's got to be good quality. People want to wear it. You know, and not just at a racetrack. You know, the pub on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and we want them to support the team and and tell the world they're supporting the team. So, you know, we've we've got to give them a good quality product that uh, that doesn't look totally outlandish. And for Triple Eight, of course, famously they were dumped by Ford when they went to the Vodafone Red. Now, they might be driving a Red Bull, but they're predominantly in a blue car and driving a Holden. Is that a sort of Damocles that Peter Jamison's worried hanging over the team? <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to know what, uh, what uh, Christine Buckley at Ford thinks of this now. <laughs> but uh, but no, the reality is that uh, we've got some brand, a, brand, a palette from Red Bull. Obviously, F1 uh, has, uh, has done a lot of research on what they think is a good brand. Um, cover it, colours, and uh, we've uh, we've just adopted what we've been told, and uh, we think the cars are pretty striking, but uh, but probably not quite as striking as uh, the rocket red, but it seems to be working for us, and uh, people obviously are responding, and, and as I said, sales for merchandise are. Uh, pretty strong which is uh, clearly people happy to put wear a red bull racing shirt that's all we have time for this week as the checker flag waves over another edition of the v8 insiders till next time round keep smiling and bye for now join us next week for more v8 insiders only on v8x.com.au